For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Here we go. This, another edition of the Kingdom of Pod, Boise State Football Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Jeff Caves here in Flower Mound, Texas, ready to talk Boise State, Hawaii, and a lot of other uh, issues, including, shortly, the search for an athletic director includes a former athletic director and now a committee, and why none of this will matter. Dan Hawkins on why Urban Meyer got it right when he named three reasons teams like Penn State, Michigan, and LSU struggle and why FCS schools are getting more transfers and how to go about winning in Hawaii, a place Hawk never lost, and a breakdown of Boise State-Hawaii, including why Boise State has to run the ball to win and save the defense. Let's get some of the business out of the way. Thank you to uh, you for listening and joining me here on this Boise State football podcast. I enjoy doing it. I get a chance to keep up on how Boise State is doing. I certainly have extensive relationships and people that I have known for years that keep me up to date on the inside information of what's going on. Uh, I do hope that you subscribe to the Kingdom of Pod, Boise State Football Podcast from Believe. Uh, rate this podcast, if you will. It helps others make a decision on whether it's worth their time since you've already invested yours. Let them know it's a good or bad use of theirs. Either way would help me. And uh, review it. Give me that review. I do appreciate it. And pass it along. If you'd like an emailed version of the pod, you can just uh, send me an email or go to the website kingdomofpod.mailchimpsites.com and I'll put you on the list and I'll start uh, sending those off. Speaking of business, betonline.ag presents the Kingdom of Pod, the Boise State football podcast, college and pro football betting uh, is the way to go. If you want a little bit more excitement, you might not be able to be at the Boise State-Hawaii game, but you can get in on the action at betonline.ag. Boise State favored by 14 on the road to Hawaii. To me, too many points. I think it's going to be a seven-point game. More on that a little bit later. But game spreads, totals, team, player, coaching props. Bet online gives you more options to wager than any place else online. And there's always the online casino as well, and it never closes. Get to betonline.ag today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Betonline.ag. Sign up today. Let's get on to some of the news that was out about Boise State. Not always football, but certainly this has an impact on football, and that is this search for an athletic director to replace Kurt Apsey. Uh, Dr. Trump holding a press conference with another committee member. More on that uh, in a second. But let's get back to the news. Randy Hales and Dr. Trump uh, were trotted out to Zooming with the media. Uh, I knew a little bit about Hales and having read, I think, a piece at uh, that Dave Southern or somebody had written about Randy. Uh, he was a Zag CEO, and Zag, uh, I did some business with, and you may remember, had a, a store that carried Zag products uh, out there on Milwaukee near the Boise Town Square Mall called Gaduru. A former VP of theirs uh, opened that store, and we did a lot of marketing and advertising for him. There was also Zag merchandise in the middle of the Boise Town Square Mall and may still be a kiosk there. A very successful company that had, I thought, tremendous products, just accessories for cell phones and other things, of course, laptops and notebooks and so forth. But anyway, Hales is running this local search committee, which was announced. Uh, I think he knows the university, knows the ropes of it because they've let him in on the foundation board. Um, I think when we start assessing the success, failure of the local search committee that hasn't done anything yet, and we want to attach some kind of grade to it, we all need to stop and understand what's the goal of a local search committee. Only Dr. Trump has that answer. She's not necessarily 
offering that in her press conferences. But there are several directions that she could have been taking that local committee and the appointees that were on it. Uh, is she just putting uh, people together so that there's some inclusion for a decision and they have a, a stake in the outcome? Uh, is she trying to put together a group of people that can find the best athletic director based on their experience in hiring athletic directors or that local search committee's experience in hiring employees in general or maybe working with athletic directors? Uh, is the local search committee a sounding board so that you get different perspectives on what a candidate sounds like to men, women, students, faculty, coaches, administrators, etc. Well, out of Dr. Trump's release or out of her mouth, the stated purpose of this local search committee, according to Boise State, was that it was to represent varied constituents and provide advice, consultation, and assistance to recruit and hire a new athletic director. So the constituents piece uh, was important, and I think that was accomplished because uh, for the most part, I think there is a wide variety of on-campus people that are being represented on this particular committee, and a lot of an athletic director's work will come uh, with on-campus people. He's, he or she will be in the executive committee group of Dr. Trump and her executive team, and that will be a lot of on-campus type of individuals that they will work with. So maybe I, you could have to say that was accomplished uh, for the most part. And whether this group will provide advice, well, you'd think they would, and consultation, I would hope so. And assistance to recruit an athletic director, probably not. Uh, hire one, okay. Maybe some of the people on this committee have experience with athletic directors. Uh, I think the majority of them uh, really don't. So I don't know that they will come in handy there. Um, the priorities, I think, are really uh, what Dr. Trump wants them to be because as much as this uh, hire could be uh, laid at the feet of committees or search uh, committees or consultants or uh, even uh, search firms, it, it's really going to come back to Dr. Marlene Trump. This is her hire. Now, this committee, I think, needs to find an individual that has a few characteristics that uh, maybe are not represented on this particular local search committee. But um, I, I, in terms of the type of individual they're looking for, uh, I think you need to find somebody that is hardwired for uh, understanding, uh, promoting, and really leveraging uh, football. And that should be the first priority of, to me, a candidate for this position is they need to have a clear understanding of the value of that and have experience in working in and around that. They, Boise State could be uh, at any second in the search for a new head football coach. That's how football works. Who knows? Brian Harson could leave at any moment. We don't know that answer. Uh, things happen quickly. And coming up, they could happen real quick after this season. Uh, do uh, do do this uh, search firm, does this search firm, or uh, I'll tell you about another person that's involved in this, I think more important than anybody other than Dr. Trump, uh, but do they want an athletic director who's friendly with the president or dictatorial in some respects that has a lot of experience and, and can counsel Dr. Trump on here's how things go, here's how I've done it, here's how I see it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I do think they have to have a plan of attack for getting Boise State beyond the Mountain West Conference should that opportunity arise and getting that done. And if it's the American Athletic Conference, which I think would be a great fit, uh, you're going to have to work hard at uh, getting these other schools, uh, excuse me, these other sports on campus to fit into another camp, uh, another conference, uh, whether that be the Big West or the West Coast Conference. So the search committee itself, when I looked at it, uh, I graded it out for my own self uh, real quickly as I looked at it. I said, okay, there's a business guy at the top, Randy Hales. He's not a grad of Boise State. He's a relative newcomer to the scene, highly successful business person. A fundraiser, Matt Ewing, is on the committee, which is important because he's in charge of all the funds that come in. There's a faculty rep. ADs always interact with the faculty rep, and they're very important to maintain relationships with the athletic department and the faculty at Boise State, so they're all on the same page on 
how these student athletes are handled when they're outside of uh, the court or the field. Uh, there's a state board member uh, on this, uh, Linda Clark, who actually was instrumental in hiring Marlene Tromp, and she's on the State Board of Education, who ultimately has to approve of this hire. Um, and the athletic director may have a relationship with the state board. Uh, women's basketball coach, uh, Gordy Presnell, you're going to deal with women's sports as the athletic director, of course. A graduate student in kinesiology who has a biomechanical engineering uh, training. And then an undergrad student who's a cross-country runner and is a st on the Student Athlete Advisory uh, Committee. So that's what's on it, uh, sort of non-revenue sport. Uh, you could make an argument that Boise State women's basketball could get to a break-even point possibly with a lot of effort. A uh, couple of students, one a grad student, one a non-grad student, one a student athlete uh, participating in a non-rev sport, uh, faculty rep, somebody at the state level, and then a fundraiser and a business guy. So, you, you know, at face value, all of that is being represented, and this is all part of what a athletic director uh, will have to work with. Uh, there's no question about it. But uh, the first thing that stood out to me uh, wasn't a lack of um, – experience with the sport of football because that certainly isn't there but there's really no old guard if there's something that's lacking on this committee uh, that is the older approach perhaps that dr trump may have uh, thought about but decided to go a different and new direction that guys with buildings on campus that have their name on them there's none of these guys on this committee some of the people who helped build up Boise State are not on this committee. Whether they turned it down or weren't asked or were asked, I have no idea about that. Uh, nobody on this committee, to my uh, knowledge, played college football. Uh, nobody coached football. Uh, nobody on this committee really has a real current connection to the football program at all. Maybe that's by design. And everything that we see on this committee is what Boise State has had and used to get them where they are today, but not where they want to be. So I think there's two ways to look at all this, and really Dr. Trump is the person that has all these answers, and it's not necessarily something that she's going to be uh, playing out publicly for all of us to watch and um, maybe get too far involved in. That's just not how the process is going to work. I do think, though, that there is – one person that's not on this committee, not on the local search committee, not on the executive search firm that hasn't been hired, but is going to be as big or uh, um, important a part of this as anybody, and that's Mike Alden. And maybe not enough has been reported or said about Mike. I don't know him personally. He is a real key person here. He's the guy with all the juice, the mojo, the experience, the expertise, the connections. Uh, the ability to study an athletic department's balance sheet, its future, its past, its um, what they offer, what they should offer, who they are. Uh, this is a guy who has made the rounds since 2015 when he ultimately retired as an athletic director at Missouri after doing quite a bit there. And he has worked for many schools in a short period of time in this kind of consultant's capacity where these schools were in transitions, either looking for ADs or having some challenges. Um, he worked for New Mexico a few years ago, for example. He's paid $53,000 to look at the New Mexico Athletic Department, what they offer, what are their options. He went on campus. He interviewed the staff in the athletic department. He had interviewed the administrators. He interviewed faculty. He interviewed just staff members. He interviewed people in leadership on campus, in students. And then he went out and just talked to members of the community. Uh, he did a thorough breakdown of the finances at New Mexico and he may not have made formal recommendations but I think he had a lot to do with ultimately uh, where New Mexico is going to end up. Uh, back in 2016 Alden consulted the University of Louisiana Lafayette, a school that Boise State has played at so I visited that stadium and seen some of the transition. Uh, one of the things that he did was a six month, six month study for the University of Louisiana he came up with 20 strategic recommendations, and he had all kinds of comments that were in this report ultimately released to the public about uh, coaches at Louisiana, athletic department employees, even boosters. And one of the big recommendations he came up with was to rebrand the school Louisiana 
and not call it ULL or University of Louisiana at Lafayette, none of that. And that's what's happened today. It's referred to as Louisiana, and you'd have to credit Alden with that. Having seen their game day atmosphere uh, there in Lafayette, uh, I think it's uh, done. they've done a great job with what they have, and, and I think he had a lot to do with that. He also worked at the University of Missouri, Kansas City as a consultant. He was the interim athletic director most recently at Cleveland State, and ultimately they hired a athletic director to replace him because he was just an interim, and they hired a associate AD from Kansas State to replace Alden. So uh, this is his experience. This is what he's done, I think, as he uh, dives into Boise State. He, he's going to be looking at their resources and talking to Dr. Trump about where they're at, where they're at in comparison to other schools in the Mountain West. I'm sure he'll do some comparison if they want to look at the American Athletic Conference and contrasting Boise State's budget and resources should they enter the American Athletic Conference and what that could look like. I think they're going to come out with a pretty darn good blueprint and plan. And in defense of Kurt Apsey, you know, it wouldn't be too difficult for any of us to sit back and say, why wasn't Apsey doing this? I'm not saying he didn't. They go through a lot of planning processes there. But if you're of that persuasion, think about all the things that he was dealing with, with COVID, day-to-day, -day, and all the other issues, manning all these sports, cutting them, raising money, all the different things that an athletic director does on a day-to-day -day basis. That's not Mike Alden's job. He can isolate all of the day-to-day -day stuff and, and know that somebody else is doing that. He's only focused on studying the present and projecting the future. That's it. Full-time gig for him. I think it's great. I think a lot of organizations would benefit from more research and uh, more forecasting on intelligent forecasting and using analytics to your marketing advantage and understanding, hey, you can do this, but you should go asking people before you do it to see how likely it is that will it will be accomplished no matter what it is. I think his work will have as much or more uh, to do with reshaping Boise State than really the athletic director because if you're looking at somebody first and foremost that you want to give the ultimate responsibility for where the athletic department is going in the next, say, one to three years, it's Dr. Marlene Trump. This is her baby. She's hiring this person. And the plan that this person, though, is going to be almost working off of and, and understanding, like, the weaknesses that Boise State has will hopefully be this athletic director's strengths and this athletic director's, you know, uh, weaknesses will be compensated by the strengths that Boise State has. And so this blueprint for finding this mythical person uh, is going to be created by Alden. So I think that's extremely important work and consideration to have here. And the local search committee will give feedback based on their unique point of view on how they see the world and how the person that has been put before them fits into that. And, and if you're a faculty member, or a student athlete, a grad student, an alum, a booster, a women's basketball coach, your perspective will be the one that you offer. So that's how I look at it. I think it's not always um, the easiest thing to do to point out uh, all the things that may be right about a decision or point out all the things that could be different about how you could make a decision. Uh, sometimes it is easiest for us to say, well, uh, how does that local search committee have any idea what they're doing? They've never hired one athletic director in their life. Well, there's a lot of things you could say that are put together that haven't done that. So uh, that's how I chose to look at it. That's how I see it. Uh, I think that Mike Alden is the guy that uh, will have a lot to do with where Boise State uh, is headed from here in the next couple of months with their athletic director search. We'll get to the Boise State University of Hawaii breakdown, but had a chance to catch up with an old friend. Dan Hawkins was the Boise State head football coach in the, in the early 2000s. Most of you know that. He went on to the University of Colorado after the 2005 NPC Bowl, and uh, after his stint at Colorado, he ended up most prominently working with ESPN doing color commentary on games. Some of you probably saw some of that. 
Uh, Hawk is now back in college football as the head coach at his alma mater in FCS football at UC Davis. And over the weekend, just last weekend, Urban Meyer of Fox uh, was doing a segment in his pregame show on Fox, the big show. And one of the segments that he had was three reasons why he always felt that college football teams struggle. And so he came up with those three reasons. Uh, I want to get to Hawk about that and also let Hawk touch on how to win in Hawaii, why there's more kids uh, transferring to FCS football, and how he's getting ready for a February opener. Hawk, let's first talk about this uh, situation that Urban Meyer brought up on the Fox uh, pregame show. He thought that there were three things that came to mind that any bad team or team that he was coaching that was struggling. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think the, the, the point was Penn State struggling or LSU is struggling or Michigan specifically was struggling, and he thought there were three reasons. And I want to talk to you about what you think these about these things. And at the top of his list, Hawk, were trust issues. Players not trusting coaches, coaches not trusting Tra uh, uh, coaches not trusting players or players not trusting each other. Each of those are unique dynamics, but let's deal with first players not trusting coaches. H how much are you on board with that and, and how much can a coach do to affect that? I think there's a lot to be said for that. <clears throat> I really do. Uh, I'm a big culture guy and uh, we always say culture eats strategy for lunch every day and you have to, you have, to have both. Uh, I've been on both sides of that. And, uh, you, you have to have a unified belief. You have to have a vision that everyone is buying into and everybody has to believe that that is a, a good one. I'll go back to, you know, when I first started at Boise, everybody was kind of going, yeah, what's up with this guy? We go lose to South Carolina. We lose to Washington state mm -hmm. and everybody else is ready to run me out on a rail kind of up and down through the season, but then we beat Fresno, who's undefeated on a Thursday night. And then everybody kind of jumps all in and, oh, yeah, we believe in these guys. We believe in these coaches. Sure. Um, so sometimes there has to be proof. People always say you have to uh, believe to see, but sometimes you have to see to believe. Mm -hmm. You have to work really hard on your relationships that you do have the best um, – possible intent in mind for the kids that you know what you're talking about football wise that that what you're trying to accomplish football wise is in fact legitimate and in fact will work that you're planning to to win or succeed but then you, you know you need some proof in the pudding there you really do and uh like I said during that year we go play South Carolina and we play Washington State who are two teams way above us but we're 0-2 and you and everybody else is going, well, these guys, uh, you know, but you're trying to stay the course. Hey, I went to Colorado and we went two and 10 my first year. And it was, it's hard. You know, it's hard for the kids, the fans, the media, for people to believe in you, to trust that you know what you're talking about. So I think you have to do a real good, uh, not a sales job, but a presentation that what you're teaching and what you're preaching is legit and there's reasons behind that, not just because you say that. Now, I say that a lot of times, but people don't always believe that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that they understand that. But Phil Jackson always talks about these breakthrough moments and you got to have them at times. And like we had the one against Fresno and eventually you, you know, I, I remember early on against Linfield. Linfield was a very good small college team. We beat Linfield. And then all of a sudden says, oh, yeah, I believe I believe what you're saying. But you have to strive for micro victories. I was talking to Bush Hamden a while back, who's at Missouri now. And, you know, they have a little bit of daunting schedule to start off with. But this belief in each other that you believe in what the players can do and they believe that you're going to put them in the best possible position, because that's when you know people call it drinking the Kool-Aid. But there's a lot to that, because if you don't believe in each other and for good reason, it's hard to move forward. I don't get why we're doing this drill. I don't get why we're running this play. All that's a problem. Let me ask you this about following up what you're talking about, explaining your intention. Do you think, Hawk, there's a generational issue with certain coaches where they're not going to tell – it's kind of like your parents. Why should I do this drill, coach? 
then the older generation may say, because I told you so. And the younger coach understands that these are more sophisticated younger people that have to understand more intention than that. How do you cover that with your coaches, and what is your opinion about this generational divide that we may be having? I think it's correct, and I don't think it's all bad. It, it isn't. It's, you know, when you and I are kids and our dad told us to do something, you just did it, and you didn't really question. Um, and to some degree, our coaches as well. We really try to do a good job presenting, like, for instance, we just went back and redid our whole tackling circuit again this morning, and I really emphasized to our players, hey, we're doing this, number one, for your safety, to keep the head out of it. This is for your safety, okay? And number two is the efficiency part of it, and then showing examples of both good and bad and when that works and it doesn't work. And this is why we do these things. It's not just to, you know, waste practice time. Um, and so you've got to present stats, you know, teams that win, teams that don't win. Why, why did they win? I mean, this pro football focus thing is all over the place. I was just going through some of the stats again today. And we always say, we know that turnovers is largely the biggest, but you got to present that to kids. You got to show them here's the teams that are undefeated. Here's their turnover margin. And one of our coaches did a really good job of that of showing like Pittsburgh Steelers, highest rated team in the NFL leading the league in turnover margin. So you better give them some factual evidence to eliminate some of the bias of going, this is why we do these things. And because if you don't, they're, they're really not going to buy in just because you say it. Let me ask you this about players not trusting each other. And how do you go beyond team building exercises? You know, holding hands when you fight. I know you were a part of that. And any other sort of uncomfortable situation you can put guys in where they have to rely on their teammate, which seems old. You know, I don't know if that works with 18 to 20 year olds now. now. How do you build trust amongst them? I think, I think in that sense, Jeff, you have to, you have to be able to train. And I, I've kind of gotten away from calling it practice. I hate practice. You know, fighters don't practice, they train. And so you have to train. And the way that you end up trusting other players is the way that you train and the situations you put them in when you train that they're going to believe that they're going to have an opportunity to complete whatever task it is they need it. And then, and then it's up to a coach to figure out, is, is this guy big enough, strong enough, fast enough, smart enough? Is he, let's not put him in a position where his teammates can't believe in him, that we've got to put him in a spot where he's doing something well and doing it consistently. And that comes down to your training. And the more you train and specificity of training, uh, we had a great practice this morning, a training session. And, you know, our coaches were going over some, some minute kinds of situations and really repping over and over and training. So the eyes, mind, feet, and then kids start to see, okay. And then obviously it happens in a game and you believe, oh yeah, this guy can block this guy or cover this guy or beat that guy. Mm -hmm. Um, but it all, it all falls back on your training. You have to put them in situations where they can see it and believe in it. I think all those exercises you're talking about, you know me, I'm, I'm into all that. Sure. But it's, also, it's one thing about if I fall back on a field and three of my buddies catch me and don't let me hit the ground. But it's another if I know that you can block this guy. If I know this blitz is going to get picked up. Um, if you're going to read that block or that coverage, whatever that's a whole nother level of trust on a football field that we believe in, in the scheme and we believe our guys can execute it. Dan Hawkins and UC Davis play uh, for February 27th, as a reminder, against Montana State as the Big Sky starts the FCS 20 season in 2021. Back to this trust issue, Hawk. We hear announcers, and you were one of them, want to go into our past, Hawk. I can play this too, where we talk about you got to trust your teammates, you know, hear <laughs> the color guys say it over and over. You don't always have the time to expand on that. But in a quarterback situation right now, for example, Hank Bachmeyer is holding on to the ball so long sometimes, waiting for guys to get open so he sees them that he's getting hit harder and harder. And isn't that a trust issue almost, Hawk? He's got to trust his reps. he got to trust his practice. He's got to trust that the guy's going to be where he's going to be and then throw it to a spot. Is that common is that an example of trust? Well, th a lot of things can go into that. I mean, one is, how is he training again? Is he getting the ball out on time in practice? Is he throwing the ball on time in practice? And as you all know, sometimes it's a protection thing, but sometimes it's holding on to the ball. Mm -hmm. 
And we're, we're on our guys all the time about that. You got to get rid of the ball. You got to get rid of the ball. So sometimes it's in the training that way. Um, and then maybe it is, he's, he's not seeing it. So then you got to break that down even further and say, what is it that you're not seeing? And can we, can we either alter the read or improve the read or what, what is the situation that's occurring that doesn't allow you to see it on time? Um, Cause yeah, I've watched a few games and he's taken some shots now. It's tough to hold up. All right. The other thing, number two on Meyer's list of teams that were struggling and uh, he thought it was dysfunction. And I, I thought this was an interesting observation, Hawk, that I thought it was a coachism, though. You people, you coaches, you're always going to trick us into things. And his, his explanation was, hey, are we working hard enough to have expectations to either beat this team or win this conference or go to this bowl game? Are we working hard enough for that? And you can ask the guys that, right? And if you're not getting the results you want, maybe they have to answer that. Is it that simple? Doesn't everybody work hard? Well, yeah. It, and sometimes it's, it's working smarter, not just working harder. I think the dysfunctionality kind of involves the trust portion of it. Um, I think trying to get everybody to buy in, you've heard me talk before about Maslow, about everybody needs a sense of power, a sense of competence, a sense of belonging, a sense of being needed to get them to invest in what it is that you're doing. Okay. And when everybody has a meaningful role and a meaningful slice of the pie, then they, they, will in, they will invest in their role and there you can eliminate some of the dysfunctionality. Um, I think when you don't have that, yeah, you, that's when, and I, I know you'll get to the selfishness part of it, but that's, that's all of that to me is in one big pot. They don't believe in the coach. The coaches don't believe in the players. Uh, I know sometimes when coaches show up, they, you know, it's like, well, I can't, I gotta, I gotta get my guys. I gotta get my guys. Well, these are your guys. <laughs> we are your coach. You know, we are your coach. And, um, but, but it's all this interpersonal uh, relationship. I was listening to a podcast about Steve Wozniak with, with Apple. And he was saying that probably the best CEOs ought to be a psychologist because that's really what it comes down to is, is putting all these people on the right page. But um, that's, you know, dysfunction happens when you're not happy with your role. Uh, you're not happy with the environment. You're not feeling fulfilled. You're not able to self-actualize. Uh, you have no slice of the pie. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know why you're doing it. You don't know when you're supposed to do it. Um, you, there's a, just a lot of confusion about the goal, the objective, you know, how we're going to get there. Bill McCartney at Colorado, I mean, he used to drill this into my head all the time, but, you know, who are we, where are we going, and how are we going to get there? Like, you got to ask yourself. Now, the other one I think you got to throw in there nowadays is why. But you got to keep saying that. Who are we, where are we going, how are we going to get there, and why are we doing this? Sure, sure. And I think the more you do that, you're going to have people come come together. They're going to come to the flame, and they're, they're going to get it. Now, every leadership book will tell you you've got to be a butcher and you've got to be a baker. Now, what does that mean? You've got to be able to grow it. You have to understand, how do I grow this culture? How do I make this happen? But guess what? Sometimes you have people that are just not going to buy in. They're, you've done everything you can. You've done a million things. You've tried all that stuff. I always say within every kid, there's a button. And if I can get to that button, I'll make this guy self-actualized. But sometimes I can't get to it. I'm not patient enough. Sometimes they hide it. You know, sometimes they don't want to see you to see it. And then eventually you just have to say, hey, we got to agree to disagree because it's not working. It's not working. And then you got you to move along. But I think a good leader has to be able to do both. So you touched on the selfishness piece. And I thought of the three things I heard, I thought that was huge. I think it's a challenge because social media has capitalized on our propensity to want to think about ourselves and everything that impacts us. And is it getting harder, Hawk, to get guys to play roles on teams and not be the star? Is it situational substitutions or special teams or places where guys have to sacrifice? Is any of that getting harder or is that just a myth and kids are still kids? I, I think it's time tested, Jeff. I, I think we all want a sense of power. I, and again, I go back to the whole Maslow thing, take you back. to I, I've been into this since I got my master's 
in administration and all these businesses were using this model. But we all have basic needs, food, water, shelter. Then above that is our safety needs, psychological and physical. And then above that is, like I said, the big four. And everybody, I, this is why countries go to war. Look at what's going on in the election right now. It's, it's power. Everybody wants it. Everybody needs it. You have to. And what does that mean? Well, that means sometimes what do you want to run? What play do you want? You know, how do you think we should practice? When do you think we should practice? What uniform do you want to wear? I mean, I, I tell this story the whole time when, uh, you know, David Michael came into my office one time and, and got us to change the order from white cleats to black cleats because everybody wanted black cleats. And he was juiced. Like, I'm like, great. But, you know, you have to give power to get power. And people just sometimes don't get that. It's not about being the dictator. It's not about being... You know, you're the servant leader. And then, again, going back to Boise, you know, I think the most amount of personnel groups we ran were 56 in one game. Wow. Go, oh, my gosh. How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, you do that because guess what? If you and I are both playing tight end, you might be the better pass catcher, okay, but I might be the better blocker. Can I, can I find a spot where Hawk can get into the game or do I make him the number two tight end and I wish the whole game that you break your leg so I can play? <laughs> I hope you're ineligible so I can play. I hope you have a bad practice so I can play. So you have to create roles. Like everybody wants to know what am I, what's my piece of the pie here? And sometimes it, you know, there's only one football, and we tell them, hey, not everybody gets the football the same amount. But if you do something well, you do it consistently, we're gonna find a spot for you on this roster that you can contribute, that you can call your mom and say, hey, you know, wait till they call Caves Group. You're going to see me. I'm going to run out there. I'm going to be in. I'm in on seven plays. Like, watch for me. I'm going to be in there. And that is just so important. That thing, we're all, watch kids, Jeff. Watch young little babies. We're naturally selfish. We don't naturally want to share. Right. We don't. We're born that way. We're hoarders. So you got to coach that and you got to have the environment where, hey, everybody says, I got a role. Here's my role. It's not as big as everybody else's, but I'm going to have a piece of the pie. And that's where you have everybody rolling together and everybody fired up and everybody all into it because they're going to they're going to get in there. And when you do that, man, you have an unbelievable force multiplier. And that's where you eliminate the selfishness. All right, Hawk, let me pivot uh, away from those three things that, that Meyer brought up that caused quite a bit of interest from folks and get into a issue that you've dealt with for the Boise State's dealing with this week, getting ready for a trip to Hawaii. And as you run that through your mind, throw COVID on top of it, all the testing, the protocols, uh, the empty stadium, the weather will be the same. Stadiums have been empty before. Now they are. When you were traveling to Hawaii with Boise State, they weren't, frankly. Um, but what's so different about this trip, Hawk, and going to Hawaii with the time zone changes and COVID, maybe fewer numbers, et cetera? It's a fine line between making too big a deal of it and not addressing some of it. And, you know, we encountered that at Wyoming. You know, they put up the sign, oh, 7,000 feet, you're not going to be able to breathe. And, you know, everybody's kind of got these wrinkles. Is there something to that? Yeah, there is, but you can overdo it at times too. So we used to have a short week, get it all done, practice on Wednesday, get done, and then get out there, get on the plane and get out there. And then give guys a little bit of time to kind of get their body underneath them, get acclimated to the time, mm -hmm. to take them out to the, you know, the Pearl Harbor Memorial, um, have a little run through out there, and then kind of try to get back into our normal plan on Fridays uh, and not make an overly big deal about it. We did tell them that, uh, and this is one of the cool things about Bronco uh, tradition, but we, our leaders knew that it was all business. And when we went there, we told them, don't get in the ocean. Don't be horsing around. Um, we got to try to win this football game. Let's put our best foot forward. Our guys did. Um, and then, but they always knew too, that, uh, this is probably a little secret. If you won, there was no curfew. <laughs> and we, we, and our guys knew that. Um, but, and we never had an issue. We really didn't. Um, we, we, I thought I was going to leave a couple of guys in Hawaii on Sunday morning a couple of times, but they made it. Uh, 
But our guys understood the nature of the business and, and hey, you are in Hawaii, obviously good weather. We want you to be relaxed. Don't overdo it. Okay, let's put our best foot forward, get our sleep, try to get back on schedule that way. Um, and then, then go play the best game we can and, you know, see what happens. And unfortunately we, you know, we were successful over there every time. And, uh, but, uh, that's kind of how we handle it. All right, Hawk, the, uh, issue everybody's trying to handle right now are transfers. Hawaii's got some kids transferring out. Speculation is, I think, solid from some that are kids transferring now during the middle of the season in a little higher number, possibly, because FCS football is around the corner and they can still play next semester. Is that happening? Do you see that? Because you guys start February 27th, as I said. Yeah, this this year does not count against their eligibility. So whatever they get in the fall and whatever they get in the spring is kind of a freebie. Um, and then with the ability to opt out because of COVID, which nearly every program, I believe, supports that for the kids, uh, there's an opportunity to do that. And I think you're seeing that a little bit more. Um, I think you're also seeing right or wrong, you know, teams that are in it and have a chance to either win the championship or go to bowl game, or I guess everybody can go to a bowl game this year, but I think you're starting to see some of those guys go, Hey, this season's not going to, not going to work out. So I need to kind of look at my situation as best I can. Um, I think the other thing you're having happen to Jeff a little bit realistically is this, this COVID thing I think has really made everybody look at what's the distance from my family and how often, uh, so it used to be not a big deal, but now I think you're starting to see kids kind of go, Holy cow. I'm, I'm a long ways away from home or I'm thinking about going a long ways away from home. And how's that going to work? Um, I'm, you know, I'm two flights away. I'm two time zones away. You know, some of that is, is coming into play as well. Um, but yeah, you do have us in the FCS. You're going to play in the spring. And I think those it's not really working out from well, they're, they're going to, they're going to play in the, in the springtime. I've said for years, Jeff, I, I know it's could cause calamity, but I said every kid should have at least one time transfer. Who, who knows? It's your girlfriend. It's your mom. It's the weather. It's the distance. It's the coach. It's the offense. These guys are 17, 18 year olds making a decision. And, you know, we all, we all have a chance. Hey, can move. Coaches can move. Presidents can move. Everybody can move except for the player. So a 17, 18 year old kid makes a, makes a bad choice or makes a choice that he has no, you know, no foregone conclusion about what's going to happen. You know, give that guy an opportunity to kind of get his career on, on, on track. Well, and lastly, Hawk, we, as we broadcast and, and tape this, you're about, I don't know, 15 weeks from your opener. So in, under normal circumstances, we're in mid to late May. So is that transferring for you? Are you in, you know, almost summer mode? Or is it a totally different schedule that you've got ahead of you right now with a February 27th opener? It is It is kind of a little different only because, I mean, we haven't played football for a long time. And so we're in this our second week. Well, actually, we're in our third week. We just finished our second week of quote-unquote fall ball, the 15 practices that you would normally have in the spring. Okay. Um, and we're – we, we just this past week, I thought, kind of got up to playing like football and on pace and on track and the same intensity and kind of getting used to uh, playing football of 11 on 11. And we've had to be creative because we're in groups of 25. So uh, we will finish this week. And then for us, the reason it's a little bit different is you've got for us, you've got these Thanksgiving, you've got finals, and you've got return in January. We're going to start the 14th. Wow. But we have to start planning about we, – we get a walkthrough for two weeks, and then we start practicing. We get 20, 25 practices before we play the 27th. Um, but what are you going to do for your vacation? What's your protocol going to be? What about coming back? What about quarantining? What about testing? There's a lot of those issues – you know, we need to make sure we're on top of because we don't, obviously don't want to lose anybody from Thanksgiving to the new year. And then we start school on the fourth, but if guys can come back here a week before that, 
then they can do their quarantine, take their test and get cleared and get actively going on the fourth. If they come on the fourth and they got to sit for five days, take their test. So they, they miss another week. So we got to try to figure out how we can get, you know, a couple months good conditioning and lifting in there uh, before we get practicing the end of January. So a lot of mental gymnastics, but our, our people have been great. We've got great testing here. Our universe, our, everybody's been great. And it's a little bit of mental gymnastics, but I don't know. I, I keep saying this, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. And I, if you want it to be like last year, it's not going to be. If you're, you're bent out of shape because you only practice with 25 guys, you're going to be bent out of shape all the time. But just adapt and roll. And I think our players and our school and our team and our staff and everybody has done that. And really, truthfully, the way we've practiced, our young guys have got a lot of good work. We've got a lot of detail, a lot of technique. You know, when you came in, you had about maybe a week, and then it was just full-on team. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what gap I'm in. I don't know what that call is. And you know, all of our young people have got a lot of work. Um, so it's not quite – it's not – usually after you get through spring, there's kind of a pause, and you take a little bit of a breath, and then there's really not a massive breath time, particularly as it deals with COVID – in your grades and returning to play and all that. All right. Thanks to Dan Hawkins uh, for joining us. Let's move on. Let's get to the breakdown of the Hawaii-Boise State game coming to us this Saturday at 9 o'clock Mountain Time for you guys and for the most of you. Although I've looked at the stats, I'm pleasantly surprised. There's really uh, Bronco fans all over the world <laughs> listening to this podcast, and I really appreciate you doing that. There's not as many, uh, I think, in the central time zone. About half of the stats I've read so far say that listeners are coming from the uh, mountain time zone. Um, so I'm going to get a 10 o'clock kickoff. So I'll probably be finishing the game Sunday morning. I don't know if I'll be able to make it all the way through. But uh, we'll see. Boise State will leave on Friday afternoon. And I don't know what time they'll get back to Boise. But if I were to guess, uh, I would say sometime around 830 uh, in the morning. It takes quite a bit to get back to the airport in Honolulu and get out of there. So Boise State will have to get ready for San Jose State uh, next Saturday uh, right after that. Let's start with Boise State's offense against Hawaii's defense in uh, this breakdown. A gambling type defense for Hawaii. Todd Graham now running the show. He's a defensive minded coach. I think this will change over time as Graham gets his guys in there. Because right now, I don't think Hawaii is probably ready to stand and fight uh, with enough football players on defense. They uh, only have three down linemen that they're going with. And I think they'll change that up uh, as they change their recruiting. And Graham gets his program established and a little bit different than Rolovich. So they're really more of a gambling-type group trying to get the ball back to their offense. And I also think they have to do some gambling and get guys in positions without much thinking. Uh, versus having the kinds of players who can do it on their own based on what they see, read, and react to. So they've been hit on some plays with guys out of position on gashing run plays specifically. And if you just look at the last game against San Diego State, Hawaii's defense gave up 162 yards on just four runs. And they did have some good things against Fresno on defense. They snuffed Fresno. They were on the road. They stuffed them in the second half in the run game, holding them to a couple yards of carry. They got a couple of intersections. They they won the football game. So it could be a streaky group uh, for Boise State. The key will be, can the offensive line open up holes big enough for Andrew Van Buren more likely to get through, or can Van Buren make some guys miss or drag them around uh, like Halani? And so far he's not proven to be able to do that. And that's a challenge for Boise State. Uh, they're going to have to find some unique ways maybe to get that done if he can't. Uh, maybe more Shakir even than they're used to. But we'll have to wait and see how uh, AVB does. Halani, I have no idea whether he'll play or not. I just think it would be a big bonus if he got out there. The bottom line is they're going to need to protect Hank Bachmeyer. We know that. Hank's dangerous when he has enough time and he takes too many hits uh, as is, even if you give him a lot of time. So if you don't give him a lot of time and he gets hit by blitzers, uh, that's going to be really dangerous, I think. And, you know, this is one bunch that will blitz early and often and all the time in Hawaii. So uh, not only is Van Buren going to have to have a good game on the ground, he's going to have to have a better one blocking 
sophomore, Hank's going to have to get a lot better at getting the ball out of his hands sooner. Uh, the tight ends, always big. Uh, Bates and Smith are going to not only have to be uh, important to the uh, blocking scheme in the run game, but how about the pass game? If, if they're getting blitzed from different directions, you need guys holding that edge and can do their part. And anytime you get them involved in that, it makes it a little bit easier to put them in the passing game because if they're heavy blocking responsibilities, then you can get them out in the pattern. So I think they'll have an opportunity to have a bigger game. Uh, Frazier uh, and Masu, uh, big uh, players for Hawaii's defense. And uh, uh, makes them really to uh, mo those those two guys are the most difficult to deal with in the pressure packages. So that's how I'd keep my eyes peeled on Boise State's defense against Hawaii's offense. Um, not much has really changed. They're still running the spread game in Hawaii. Uh, the new offensive coordinator is not a new name. G.J. Kinney uh, played quarterback at Tulsa. And he played it against Boise State. He's calling the shots now. It's not Rolovich. And uh, he's got an interesting background. He's a young kid. He's with the Eagles as an assistant to an assistant, basically. And he's not had a shot like this. This is a big job, big moment for him in a big game. Chivin Cordario, the quarterback at Hawaii, has done some great things for them uh, even before this year. And Cordario really makes the whole thing sink or swim. He's fast. He's decisive. He can be mistake prone. And everything can come to a screeching stop when he isn't making the right decisions. But he's going to try to carry this team by making big runs or throws. And so if there's one guy you can circle, it's him. you got to limit this kid. you got to make him anxious uh, with blitz packages that you can drop back maybe into a zone. Now, all that can be very effective to get him antsy. Uh, for example, how about another huge game that uh, you get out of one of your key playmakers like Riley Wimpy? I uh, played with his hair on fire. But you better have some consistent safety play. And maybe somebody like Canijo gets highly motivated going uh, to the islands. And, and Skinner uh, just continues to mature and has more interceptions and less getting beat uh, in, when, in hint coverage when that happens to him. Because Hawaii is going to put the ball out on the edges. They're going to put you in one-on-ones. And they're going to force you to make tackles. And if you miss them, it could be chunks of yards, yardage. The Boise State safeties and the corners. Uh, if they start biting on short routes, they'll start hitting them with bombs. And so uh, Hawaii has, you know, tried to run the ball more, and they are. They're actually running it more than they throw it. So they have done some nice things on the ground like they did against Fresno. Uh, Cordario ran 20 times, you know, and not all of it by design. So that that that's really where the uh, difference is with, with this offense and defense. I think it's still under construction for the University of Hawaii. I think it's going to take Graham a little bit longer to get everything that he wants. So what we see is not necessarily uh, what we may be getting in 2021 or beyond uh, with the Hawaii football team. All right, that's it. The Kingdom of Pod, our Believe Network, Boise State football podcast. Thanks to Dan Hawkins for joining me. Always appreciate Hawk coming on board. Don't forget, go ahead and rate it, review it, subscribe to it. Go over to the kingdomofpod.mailchimpssite.com website. Read more about the podcast, and also you can subscribe there so you can get this pod emailed to you. We'll talk to you next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.